Hey, Deborah, I'm glad you're here. Tomorrow, believe it or not, is Amy's and my three-month anniversary. Oh, what time's the parade? <laughs> and we would like to have you, Deborah, over to celebrate, and you can bring somebody. Oh, that's sweet. Can't make it. We'll be there. No. Nope. Yeah, do the laundry. How about I shrink your underwear and make you think your butt's going fat? Trouble in paradise? No, just Wednesday in paradise. Care for some advice? No. I'll tell you what I found to be the key to a happy marriage. Says the man who married a stripper, then divorced a stripper, then married a regular person, and, and hung in there a whole three months. What a happy marriage? Hold hands. Hold hands. Hold hands. <laughs> You're a stupid person. I'm serious. Something as simple as holding hands could give someone a sense of togetherness. You are so afraid of affection. You don't touch me. Raymond, 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 you're so closed off. Holding your wife's hand could be pleasurable for you. And more importantly, it might allow her to feel wanted and loved by you. How does that get me out of laundry? If you could connect with your wife emotionally, then perhaps you wouldn't see doing laundry as a chore. You might do it willingly for her as a gesture of love. You are an idiot wrapped in a moron. I'll tell you what I'm wrapped in, a good and healthy marriage. Yeah, well, wrap it up to go. Yeah, well. Gotta love that. Let me ask you this, by way of showing of hands, how many of you have ever had somebody try to give you marital advice that maybe you didn't ask for? Yeah, oh man, some hands shut up really quick. Well, thankfully, we don't have to uh, rely on other people and uh, Raymond's brother for marital advice because we've got the best book on marriage right here called the Bible. I mean, after all, it was God's idea of marriage. God came up with the idea. He designed it, and he has given us the owner's manual on marriage, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It's on page 473. If you're using one of the Bibles, you may have picked up when you came in this morning. We are continuing our study. We're nearing the end of our study through the book of Ephesians, going verse by verse through this book, and uh, the name of this study is Who Do You Think You Are? And we're learning about our identity in Christ who we are and what we have in Christ. And today our identity is, I am loved. I am loved. So turn to the person sitting next to you and just say, I am loved. Doesn't that feel good? I am loved. And to help us grasp this today, how much we're loved by our Savior, Paul is going to use marriage as an example of love. He's going to use marriage as, a, as an illustration. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, well, that's not a good illustration of love. I've seen some marriages. But what we're going to also see today is what 
the biblical blueprint for marriage is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be very loving. Now, I warned you last week, I'm going to tell you again today, this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33 is one of the most controversial passages in the Bible compared to our society today because it's going to define for us marriage and what marriage is supposed to look like, the roles and responsibilities of the husband and the wife. It's controversial because what we're being told by society that marriage is and what it's supposed to look like is completely different than what the Bible Bible says and God has told us but can we agree that whatever the world is telling us in society about marriage is not working can we agree I mean over 50% of marriages don't make it and that includes secular marriages and Christian marriages and so we got to try something different so let's let's go back to the source let's go back to the originator and creator of marriage but I know today this is going to be difficult for some of you it may upset some of you I, I may be like a pinata today some of y'all are going to want to punch a little bit but I'm going to really challenge you don't put up walls Let's really open our hearts and our minds to God's Word and the creator and originator of marriage. I'm actually going to have my wife of 21 years, my bride, Shelly, is going to join us at the end of this message to kind of help me close this message out in a practical way. So you can't just get upset at me today because she's going to talk about it too. So misery loves company. But here's what I want to do. Normally we kind of work our way verse by verse and then we talk about each one as we go. I want to just read the entire passage so we can kind of really grab the context and then we're going to unpack this this morning. So you guys ready? Yeah, the men are like, yeah, the ladies are like, oh boy. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, and let me just give you guys a little warning. Keep your elbows to yourself, men and ladies, okay? Because it's going to work both ways. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. There's the controversy right there. We've just, we're already in it. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, help me out, husbands. What's the next word? Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then Paul quotes the origination of marriage, the design verse in Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, Paul says, what I've been talking about. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's our passage today. Now, the real theme, I believe, of this passage is love. You see the word love six times in this passage, and love here is not defined as a feeling or as an emotion, but it's defined as an action. It's something that we do. And this action of love is displayed by three people in this passage that we're going to look at today to help us understand our identity, that I am loved, that we are loved in Christ. Three people displaying love. The first one is the loving Savior. You have this in your notes. The loving Savior. There's five ways that Jesus loves the church, that he loves us, that we read in this passage. The first way that Jesus loves us is he loves us as our leader. 
Look at verse 23 again. It says, for Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. It means he's the leader of the church. This is not my church. This is not your church. It's not our church. This is Jesus' church. Amen? We belong to him. He's the senior pastor. And the good news is he loves us as our head and as our leader, and he's become responsible for us, responsible for his children, responsible for the church that he leads, just like a CEO is ultimately responsible for his company as the leader, just like a coach is ultimately responsible for his team. Jesus has taken responsibility for us, for our sin, that needed to be forgiven, he went to the cross, he died for us, paid for our sins. As our leader, he took responsibility for us because he loves us. Aren't you thankful he did that, church? Amen? So he loves us, first of all, as our leader who's taken responsibility for us. Not only does he love us as our leader, but he loves us as our Savior. He's our Savior. Verse 23, the last part of the verse says, he's not only the head of the church, he's the Savior of the body. The reason we need a Savior is because we're sinners, the Bible says for, in Romans 3.23, how many of us have sinned? For we have all sinned and come short of a relationship with God. And Jesus was sent as our Savior to save us from our sins, to rescue us from our sins. He loved us enough to rescue us and save us. You think about all the... Uh, blockbuster movies that are out there most of them involve some kind of savior some kind of superhero spider-man superman batman we love those kind of stories where somebody is getting saved you know that's the story of the bible that we have a savior that has come to rescue and to save us because he loves us so jesus loves us as leader he loves us as savior and he loves us as giver he has given us so much verse 25 says that christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her he gave himself he didn't just give us something he gave us himself he died for us probably the most famous verse in the bible is john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life he died for us he loved us enough to give himself to die for us to forgive our sins that we might have a relationship with god i've said it many times here at orchard church i hope you remember it this way if you've ever wondered how much jesus loves you look no further than the cross where he spread out his arms and he was willing to die and he said i love you this much enough to die for you to give my life for you so jesus you are loved today as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus loves us as leader, as savior, as giver, and he loves us as our cleanser. He's our cleanser. Verse 26 and verse 27 says that Jesus might sanctify and cleanse her, that's us, the church, believers, with the washing of water by the word that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus loved us enough to cleanse us, to clean us up. Have you ever needed cleaning up in your life? That's what Jesus loved us enough to do. You see, this is the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is about people trying to clean themselves up so they can make themselves presentable to God. Christianity, what the Bible teaches is, we come to Jesus just how we are with all of our sin and all of our mess. He loves us and meets us where we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us how we are, and he cleans us up. You see the difference? Say yes between religion and Christianity. I talk to people all the time. Well, I can't come to church yet because I got some things I got to straighten out in my life. I got to clean up. I can't come to Jesus yet because I got some things I need to clean up. Trying to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus is like taking a bath before we take a shower. Think about it. It makes no sense. We come to Jesus. He loves us, accepts us where we are, but he cleans us up. 
Let me illustrate it this way. You can always tell who the loving moms are uh, in, a, in a group of people. Let's say some moms have gotten together at small group and, and their children are playing over here and, or maybe a play date. And, uh, you know, those of you that are parents uh, of young, how many of your parents are young children? You know, like, like two and under? Okay, a lot of you, you're going to really identify with this. Some of you are going to have to think back a little bit. But uh, one of the things I learned really quick as a young father when my kids were very little, they're teenagers now, but uh, kids are full of bodily fluids. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you can have a 10-pound baby full of like 15 pounds of bodily fluid. And, 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 and those bodily fluids can emerge unexpectedly with impressive pressure and force at inopportune times. Can I have an amen, mothers? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard of a blowout? Have you ever had a kid, and I have, poop their neck? Yes. I said poop their neck. I mean, how does that happen? It's, it's like re reverse gravity somehow takes over and they just make this mess. But you can always tell who the loving moms are because a kid will have a blowout and all the other kids are, ah, and they're running away and all the other moms are, like, ugh. And then there's one mom lovingly coming over to clean up the baby, to take care of the child that's, that's made the mess because she loves the child. You know, that's what Jesus has done for us. He's the only one that loved us enough to run to us and not away from us to clean us up from the messes we've made. Have you ever messed yourself you ever, ever made a mess of your life? You ever got it all over you, you know? And Jesus comes to, he's like, ah, you threw up on yourself. You got it all over you again. I told you, quit drinking so much. You know, Jesus is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean you up. I'm going to meet you where you are because I love you. And I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to clean you up. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves us enough to clean us up? We've all needed some cleaning up at times in our life. Jesus loves us as leader. He loves us as savior. He loves us as giver. He loves us as cleanser. And he loves us as a nourisher. Verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, as he does for us. He nourishes us. There's a theologian by the name of Karl Barth, and he was a very well-known, respected theologian who'd studied the scriptures and taught seminary classes and wrote many books. And at the very end of his life, someone was interviewing him, and, and they asked him this question. They said, could you summarize everything in your life of study that you've learned about Jesus and Christianity in just a couple of sentences? And he said, I sure can. And here's what he said. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, Jesus loves me. He loves us. He nourishes us. He takes care of his children as a leader, as a savior, as a giver, as a cleanser, as a nourisher. He protects us. He encourages us. He comforts us when we're down. We are loved. Amen? We are loved. John was writing one day about in his, in his letter about love and how much God loved us and loves him. And he's trying to help us understand it. And finally he just burst out in 1 John 3, 1. And he said, see how very much the Father loves us. Do you see it? Do you get it? Do you understand how much we're loved? For he calls us his children and that is what we are. And we can hear that. We can read that. We can study that. And we can sing about that, that Jesus loves us. But to understand the definition of love, it starts with Jesus. And how much he's loved us, that we're loved. And, and to help us grasp this, Paul gives us an illustration in this passage of the love 
of Jesus for us. And, you know, usually as I'm studying for messages, I'm studying the, the doctrinal and the historical of a passage, and I have to come up with ways to make it practical, and I try to come up with illustrations to help you guys understand. I didn't have to work as hard for this message because Paul already built an illustration right into the passage. It's an illustration of love, and Paul chooses to use this timeless metaphor of a husband and wife. And he says, the love that Jesus has for us as the, as the people of God in the church is like a husband and wife have for each other. You know, we love weddings, don't we? Love going to weddings. And, and I've, I've officiated many weddings. And, and one of my favorite parts of weddings is I'll come out and it'll be me and the groom are waiting for the bride to come in. And she'll turn the corner. And that groom will get to see his bride for the very first time. And, I'll, and everybody's looking at her, but then I turn and I look at him. And I always warn them. You know, when we have the rehearsal, I'm like, okay, if you guys cry, I will cry. I'm a crier. And so I love this picture of this guy seeing his bride for the first time. And all of the love and all the emotion and all of the affection. And that's what Paul's going to do here in this passage. He's to help us understand the love that Jesus has for us. He's going to use marriage, the love between a husband and a wife, as an example of Christ's love for us. And, the, and what's cool about this is not only does it help us understand Christ's love for us, but it gives us a biblical blueprint for marriage and what marriage is supposed to look like. And when it looks like this, it's very loving. It's very God-honoring. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So we've seen the loving Savior. Now let's look at the loving wife, and then we'll look at the loving husband and how God has laid out what this is supposed to look like because it's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. So first, let's talk about the loving wife. Paul addresses the loving wife. We're going to look at the role and responsibility of each of the spouses. First of all, what is the role of the loving wife biblically? Don't shoot the messenger, okay? Biblically. Her role is this, to lovingly submit to her husband's leadership. To lovingly submit. Verse 22, what does it say? Wives, help me out. Submit. I know it's really hard to say that. It's all right. The guys have got theirs coming. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Just like you're supposed to submit to the Lord, you're supposed to submit to your own husband. Look at verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ or submits to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Notice the key words there, own husbands. This passage is not teaching that all women should submit to men. That's not what it's saying. Some women are like, I don't trust men. Neither do I. Paul is not, God is not asking women to submit to all men. It's to your own husband. That is what he's talking about here, your own husband. And submission, ladies, listen, our society has made this a dirty, ugly word. Submission is not slavery. It's not slavery. Let me help you understand it. In the original Greek, the word submit comes from the Greek word hapatasso. And it means this, to arrange under rank. To arrange under rank or order. It's a military term. Do you believe, let me ask you this, okay? Forget about what we're talking about for a second, but just answer this question. Do you believe that we serve a God of order? Absolutely. Have you looked at the universe and how it's ordered by our creator? Have you looked at our bodies and how they operate and how it's ordered by God? We serve a God of order. And so because we serve a God of order, there has to be some kind of rank and order inside of marriage. Every team has to have a coach. Every company has to have a CEO. Every church needs to have a, a lead pastor to help make decisions and be the leader. So the same is true in marriage. And God's order and rank in marriage is that the wife submits to the loving leadership of her husband. 
Now, we're not talking about simple decisions here like, you know, hey, honey, where do you, where do you want to eat tonight, steak or Chinese? Listen, let me help you men. Just love her and say yes. Just, just go, with where, go wherever she wants. Just give, give her what she wants. We're not talking about little decisions. We're talking about major life direction-changing decisions. Are we going to have kids? How many kids are we going to have? Where are we going to live? What house are we going to buy? What career are we going to follow? What's our finances going to look like? What church are we going to go to? And the goal is working together toward unity and oneness. The two shall become one flesh. But somebody has to be the responsible party, the leader, and somebody has to submit to that. And the role is that the wife submit to the leadership of her husband. Let me give you five things that submission is not and five things submission is biblically that I'll sum this up. I didn't have room for all of it in the notes, so you can jot it down somewhere else or you can go back and watch it online. But let me put them on the screen. Five things submission does not mean. Submission does not mean, ladies, that a husband is the ultimate authority. The husband is actually down on the totem pole because above the husband is governmental authorities, law enforcement authorities, and then above that there's God. Men are to submit to God. So the ultimate authority is not your husband. There are other authorities that, that is above him. Submission does not mean that a wife does not have independent thoughts. Men, how many of you realize your wife has independent thoughts? Amen? Amen. They have independent thoughts. They should have independent thoughts. And we would do well to listen to their thoughts and consult them. The Bible says in Genesis that God gave Adam, Eve, to be a helper to him to help him in making decisions. And so, so it does not mean that she does not have independent thoughts, which goes to number three. Submission does not mean that a wife does not seek to influence her husband. You should seek to influence your husband. It's how you seek to influence your husband that's the key. And we'll get into that in just a, a little bit. Shelly, my wife of 21 years that uh, will have come out in just a little bit, uh, she is, and she's so loving and sweet when she says this. She's so good at it. She says, she says uh, honey, if you would listen to me more, you would be right more. <laughs> and she's right. God has placed her in my life to help me as I make decisions. So submission does not mean that her wife doesn't seek to influence. Number four, submission does not mean a wife must obey her husband's commands to sin. There's a higher authority, and that's God that we answer to. Number five, submission does not mean that a wife is less intelligent or competent than her husband. I know many wives that are more intelligent and competent than their husbands. This is not about IQ or education. It's about order and in the home. If that makes sense, say yes. Let me give you five things biblically submission does mean. Number one, it means that a husband and wife are equal with complementary roles. That both husband and wife were made in the image and likeness of God and we are equal before God, but we have different roles inside of the marriage. Submission does mean, number two, that wives are to submit to their husband like Jesus submitted in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember Jesus in the Garden? He was fully man and yet fully God, and yet while he was on this earth, he was to submit to his Father in heaven. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Was it hard? Yes. Was it difficult? Yes. Did he agonize? Yes. Were there emotions? Yes. But he submitted because that's what God had called him to do. It's doing the same thing Jesus did. Number three, submission does mean that husbands are to lovingly lead like Jesus does the church. You keep seeing this in this passage. Just like Christ does the church. Just as Christ does the church. We'll get into that with men in just a moment. This means, it means you're not cruel, mean, harsh, unloving. It's not a dictatorship. It means husbands are to lovingly lead like Jesus does the church. And you know what I have found? 
in my 25 years of ministry and watching couples and talking to people, women want to follow somebody like Jesus. Amen, ladies? They want to. So be like Jesus. Number four, submission means a single woman, for all you ladies who are single or single again, a single woman should only marry a man she can respect and follow. That is huge. We'll talk more about that when Shelly gets out here in a little bit. Number five, submission does mean that Christian marriage shows the Trinity. You think about the Trinity. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. They're three, but they're one. They have different roles. They have different responsibilities. There's equal submission, but there's order, Father, Son, and Spirit. In a marriage, we are a picture of the Trinity. It's husband, wife, and God. And there is order, and there is submission within that. So the role is that the wife lovingly submit to her husband. Her responsibility is that she does it with respect, that she lovingly respects her husband. Look at verse 33. Paul says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as he loves himself, and let the wife see that she, what, ladies? Respects her husband. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but... How do you respect your husband? Let me ask you, ladies. How do you talk to him? How do you talk about him? I've seen this over and over in marriages. How you talk about him and how you talk to him will cultivate what kind of man you want him to be. You treat him respectfully, he'll be more respectful. You disrespect him, he will act disrespectfully. It happens all the time. I I was talking to a lady uh, doing some counseling uh, several months ago. And she had been with this man for like 10 to 15 years. And she was asking my advice, do you think I should marry him? And I'm like, yeah, what, what, why haven't you married him? What's going on? You know, you've been with him all of this time. And I, I asked this question. I said, well, do you love him? And she said, yes, immediately. Yes, I love him. And I said, do you respect him? She said, no. That quick. I said, so you love him, but you don't respect him. She's like, no, I don't. And I said, then you better not marry him. Because God is going to call you to respect him and follow him. And if you don't now, you won't later. She said a lot in that. So the loving wife submits to her husband's leadership. She respects her husband. That's the role and responsibility of the biblical wife. Okay, ladies, you can take a big deep breath. Now it's the men's turn. All right, yeah, ladies like, yeah, get him, come on. So the, we've seen the loving Savior, we've seen the loving wife. Now let's talk about the biblical loving husband, his role and responsibility. First of all, his role is this, to be the spiritual leader of his family. To be the spiritual leader, not just leader, but spiritual leader, because look at the context in verse 23. Husband is the head of the wife. Now, husbands, we like that. We're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I I told a couple of men, you know, we're going to be talking about this passage this week, and they, they were like, is this where she has to do everything I tell her to do? I said, oh, there's a lot more to it than what you think. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, look, he goes on. As also Christ is the head of the church. He's our spiritual leader. You're to be the spiritual leader of your home. You're to be the head of your home. Headship does not mean dictatorship. Headship is not about power. It's about the position that God has placed you in as loving leader, which just like Jesus, remember, as a loving leader, he was responsible for us. You are responsible for your marriage and your home. Do you remember when we went through Genesis this summer and when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave the command to Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And who ate of the tree first? Was it Adam or Eve? 
It was Eve. Eve sinned first. Eve ate of the tree first. They sinned, and, and then she leads her husband, Adam, and he eats of the tree, follows her instead of being the leader. And then God shows up in the garden, and he goes looking for somebody. Who does he go looking for? Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, come here. We need to talk. And I'm sure Adam was like, whoa, wait a minute. She ate first, then she made me, you know. And, and God held Adam responsible because he made him head of his family. And that was the first marriage and nothing has changed. And now we're in, in the New Testament, he's saying the same thing. The man is the responsible party as the leader of his home, the spiritual leader. Let me give you three ways practically that God calls you men to spiritually lead your home. Just quickly here, let me give you three ways. You're to, you're to lead your home spiritually as provider for your family, as provider. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those in his own household, his own home, he is denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. You're to be responsible to be the provider of your home. This doesn't mean the wife can't financially contribute, that she's got to be barefoot and pregnant. That's not what he's saying. But he, what he is saying is the husband is to be the provider. That The husband should set the financial tone and direction for the family. Men, some of you men need to get in financial peace. We just started a couple of small groups, Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. Some of you men need to get in that so you can be the financial provider and leader of your home and set the tone and direction. That you say, you know, we're not going to be like everyone else, which is in debt. We're going to get out of debt. We're going to stay out of debt. We're going to have a plan. We're going to have a budget. I'm going to provide financially and, and give financial stability. We're not going to fall into materialism. I'm going to provide financial stability and security for my home. Listen, men, if you will do that, your wives will love you for that. Amen, ladies? Because one of the greatest needs of women is security. And you can provide that, and you need to lead in that way. Lead your family. Provide for them. So not only as provider, but as protector. You're to be the spiritual leader as provider and protector. Verse 28 and 29, look what Paul says. So husbands ought to love their own wives, or their own body, excuse me. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. He's, he's a protector. Now some of you men say, okay, yeah, I'm the protector of my home. You're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I got my Springfield XD45, you know, by the nightstand, and I'm just waiting for somebody to make my day. We're not just talking about physical protection. That's part of it, but that you protect her heart. You protect her emotions. You, you protect her that she knows you're going to be faithful, that you're going to be a faithful Savior to her that says the same thing Jesus says to his church. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. That you protect your family. If you have children, that you're involved in your kids' lives. You know who your kids are hanging out with. You know who their friends are. And sometimes you say yes to these and no to these. You know who they're dating or not dating. Or even if they're dating at all. That you're involved in that. You're spiritually lead your families, men, as provider and protector. And here's another one. And don't check out on me, men, as pastor. And some of you men are like, oh, I'm out. I'm done. What do you mean I'm supposed to pastor my family? What, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're some great theologian and you have to do exegetical Bible study and that you have to have a seminary degree. It just means you're just be the spiritual leader and set the tone for the spiritual direction of your home. Like Christ is the spiritual leader of the church. Men, you're responsible to set that. And some of you men might be like, well, I don't even know where to start. What does that look like? It's really not difficult. It's simple. Let me give you some simple things that you can do to just begin to be the spiritual leader of your home. 
And it's not about how much Bible knowledge you have. One of them you're already doing. Have your family in church. Say, you know, our family's going to be in church. We're going to have a church family where we can grow and we can worship and my kids can learn about God. And that, you know, it's not the wife always asking on Saturday night, are we going to go to church or not tomorrow? What do you think? That you're going, we're going to church tomorrow. It's not the wife kicking you in the morning going, hey, we need to get up. It's time for church. And then not only do you go to church, but that you serve in the church. You say, you know, let's get involved. Let's contribute. Let's not just be a consumer. Let's be a contributor. Let's not warm the bench. Let's get in the game. Let's get involved in a small group where we can fellowship with other Christian couples and families and help each other and pray for one another. Let's, let's get into discipleship. I need to be discipled so I can lead my family spiritually. And I need to disciple other men. Um, if you've got teenagers, my teenagers are going to be in youth groups so they can have teenage friends and have other people speaking into their life, things that will help them. Man, it means you, you lead your family to tithe. Yeah, I said tithe. I have women all the time in this church come up to me and say, I know God wants me to tithe. I know the Bible says we're supposed to tithe, but my husband, I just can't get him to do it. That's really sad. Men, you need to lead your families in that way. You need to pray at meals. It could be as simple as, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. Set the spiritual tone. Loving husbands, their role is to be the spiritual leader of their family by being protector, provider, and pastor. Boy, it's getting quiet in here. Now let's talk about your responsibility. How are you to do this? You're to be a loving leader. You're to be the spiritual leader and you're to do it lovingly. It's everywhere in this passage. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you husbands in particular so love his own wife as himself. That you do it as a loving leader. I mean, what wife doesn't want to follow and submit to the loving leadership of a godly man? They do. They do. And that you love in a sacrificial way, the same way that Jesus has loved us, enough that he was willing to die to meet our needs. That's how much he's loved us. And let me just say this, men, before I bring Shelly out here to unpack some of this a little bit practically. It doesn't say husbands love marriage. A lot of men love the idea of marriage. It says, husband, love your wives. Love her. Not just marriage. It's easy to get married. It's a completely different thing to once you get married, love your wife like Christ loves the church and was willing to die for it. Amen? And that's the goal. That's the goal. That kind of sacrificial love for your wife and for your family. I want to unpack some of this a little bit, this, this teaching. And so I'm going to invite my wife, my bride of 21 years, Shelly, to the stage. Can we welcome her? Come on out, honey. And we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit with the time we have left. Um, first of all, how, how can wives and ladies not see this passage and this teaching as a negative thing, as a degrading thing, thinking about, you know, submitting to their husbands? How, how can you help them with that? Well, I think whenever we look at the scripture, that it's important that we realize that God is our creator and our designer. And when he puts something in there, it isn't to, like, squelch our fun. But it's to, because he knows what is best for us and what's going to make us the happiest. 
And so when he gives us this teaching, it isn't to be demeaning or degrading to women. He just knows women, and he knows how he created us to be. And he knows that if we are in a submissive role, we're just going to be happier in that role. And so I think it's important that we look at it that way. And um, it's really important, too, that it isn't about you being the leader of our home, and it's all about you and what you want. And it isn't about me and what I want, but it's us together as a team. And um, we both decide the direction of our home together. And ultimately, it's your decision, but we come to it together and we're going in the same direction. And that's what unifies us. And, you know, that's the important thing about having God be the center of your marriage because it it unifies you. If you want what God wants and your husband want what, wants what God wants, he comes along and he unifies us so that we're going in the same direction. So in 21 years of marriage, how many times can you recall where I said, this is what we're going to do, whether you like it or not, I think it's the best way to go, and how's that gone? I don't remember ever a time where that's happened. <laughs> You know, if we're both a team, and ultimately, yes, I'm going to let you make the decision, but you're wise enough to come and ask me, you know, what's the best direction here? How do you feel about this? And then the best idea wins out. And, you know, two heads are, are better than one, you know, that that together we can come and, and make a better decision together than either one of us could separately. And you're wise enough to ask me and I'm wise enough to ask you and then together we'll find a course and a direction and we'll both go that way together. So what would you say to ladies that say, okay, I know the Bible says I'm to submit to my husband, but I, I'm just afraid he's going to make a really dumb decision and I, I don't know that I can trust his decision. So what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to let, let God work on him. And you work on you and let God work on him. And in 1 Peter 3, it says that if there's a man, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. And if your husband doesn't obey the word, that he should be won by the chaste lifestyle of the wife. And, you know, we can, our lives speak a lot louder than our mouth. And our mouth, especially with our husbands, you can get, you can get their pride up where they are n you might have the best idea, but they're just not going to do it because you have, have pushed them too much. And a lot of times it's, it's good just to take a step back and just pray about it and just let God work on him because God can do a lot better job than we can. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're in an abusive situation, God did not intend these scriptures to be used to, to um, violate a wife and her rights he says that a, a husband is to love his wife mm -hmm. and to lead his wife, and that is how they're supposed to do it. God never intended for this passage to be used to, to cause a woman to be in an abusive situation. Right, absolutely. So the role is submitting to the leadership, and the responsibility is to do it respectfully. So what, what do you have to say about, you know, wives submitting, or excuse me, respecting their husbands? And what advice do you have for, you know, maybe ladies that say, I, I, I wish I respected him more, but I really don't. And how, do I, how does that play out, that respect element? How important is that? Well, first of all, I, when 
I was looking for a husband, to me it was really important that I pick out a man that I felt like I could follow. And um, you know, I, that's one of the things about you that really attracted me to you was that you are a leader and you are ambitious. And to me, those are very attractive qualities in a man. I thought and it was because I was hot, but I mean, I guess. <laughs> that uh, too. But, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> but really, it was those other two. And you know, I had always been taught because my dad is such a godly man, and he modeled that for us in our home. So I always knew what that looked like, and that was something that I really wanted. And I. For you that are single out there, make sure you pick out a guy, not that you think is good looking and, and all of that, but that you go into it saying, is this a man that I could submit to? Is this a man that I trust? Is this a man that's lovingly leading me? Because those are the kind of qualities you want to look for. And if you are married to someone and you feel like, oh, this is not somebody that I can respect, I think you're going to have to once again make that a matter of prayer and search your heart because I've seen some really good great guys that their their wives did not respect them. And um, I remember sitting across um, a dinner table with this couple, and I wanted to go, um, hey, time out here, because she was just after him and nagging on him and just picking at him. And I wanted to say, you know, if you thought he was an idiot, why did you marry him? <laughs> and, you know, there was not anything wrong with the man, but she had just so beat him down that... Um, he didn't know what else to do but to cocoon. And, you know, I think if you want to have a, a respectful man, it, it doesn't always work this way, but if you treat them with love and respect and build them up and believe in them, then um, you might be surprised what you might end up with. Yeah, very good, very good. Well said, amen? Amen. Thank you, hon, for coming out. Thank you. I want to ask you guys... Um, to just bow your heads, if you would, with me as we kind of wrap this up this morning. And for those of you that are here and you're, you're believers in Jesus Christ, the main theme of this passage is that you are loved, that Jesus loves you. And, and if you're married or if you're going to be one of these days, that you share and you show the love of Christ inside of your marriage by fulfilling your biblical role and responsibility. And, and so with heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you that are, that are believers and and you're married, would you just ask the Lord to search your heart right now and say, you know, am I fulfilling my biblical role and responsibility? N n not as your spouse, are you. you. You can't change the other person, but you can change you and see what God does. And I know for some of you, this is a very fearful thing, especially for you ladies, and, and I, I, I get it. I understand some men have made this so difficult because they don't lovingly lead and love like Jesus. And it can be very fearful to think of submitting and respecting your husband. But God doesn't want you to live out of fear. He wants you to live out of faith. And trust this and apply it and see what God will do in your life and in your marriage. And so I just want to encourage you married couples right now, just talk to the Lord right where you sit. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. If the Lord has spoken to you about your role or your responsibility, men, if you know you're not being the loving spiritual leader of your home the way you should be, Man, confess that right now and ask the Lord to help you to step up. And you'll be amazed how much more your wife may be willing to follow you when you live like Jesus. Because I've found that women like to follow men that live like Jesus. So talk to the Lord right now. And then if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
As we talked about today, Jesus loved you so much, he was willing to give himself for you, to die for you, to clean you up, to forgive you of all your sins. And there may be some of you here this morning, and you've been trying to clean your life up before you come to Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, listen, I love you, I accept you, I don't condemn you, I want to forgive you and clean you up today. I I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to have forgiveness of your sins. And and if that's you today, you'd say, I want to invite Jesus into my life today as Lord and Savior. I I want him to clean me up today and make me right with him. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your seat, from your heart to God's. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you mean it and you believe it, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're ready to pray that prayer right now and invite Jesus into your life today as your Lord and Savior, pray this with me. It goes like this. Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I invite you into my life by faith. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my cleanser. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and loving me. Thank you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a minute. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer of salvation for the first time, I want to pray for you. Uh, I want to pray for you that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus from this day forward and that we could be a help to you. So would you just slip up your hand? This is a testimony. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time today. Thank you. Just, just lift it up and just say, yes, I, I invited Jesus into my life today. Anyone like that this morning? Yes, God bless you up here on the top. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I invited Jesus into my life today. I I, I meant it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for those who put their faith and trust in you today as loving Lord and Savior. Thank you for the time you met all of us and you cleaned us up. And the times when we still make a mess and you clean us up. And that you love us and you meet us where we are, but you love us too much to leave us where we are. Help us to grow to love you and know you more through your word. And Lord, I pray that we would just uh, meet these people that are making a decision for you, that we would meet them with love and grace and mercy and welcome them into the family. And Lord, help all of us to have marriages that will be pleasing to you, where we fulfill our, our biblical role and responsibility, and that we be a picture to the world of your love for us, and that people would see our marriages and say, you know, I, I don't know what you guys have, but I, I, want, I want in on it, and we can point them to you. We thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. And Lord, thank you for marriage and thank you for our spouses and help us to live out what you've called us to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Amen.